1: We had a downward trajectory in rates in the old normal pre 2008 environment. Now we might have a sideways or maybe for a while upward trajectory in rates. We'll see what happens when we think about the next 12, 18 months. There's also a lot of government debt right now that is different from prior environments. What it means for portfolio diversification is on Consuelo Mac Wealth Track. Funding provided by Clearbridge Investments. First Eagle Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Baird, Bill Miller, Research Affiliates, Strategus Asset Management, Women Investing in Security and Education, and Matthews Asia.
0: Hello and welcome to this edition of Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. The world is different now. We're in a new regime. That is the assertion of Sebastian Page, a chief investment officer at T. Rowe Price and head of its global multi-asset division, where he oversees more than $425 billion in assets, including 350 billion plus in target date portfolios. His team also manages other asset allocation portfolios, including the five-star rated T. Rowe Price Global Allocation Fund and the four-star rated T. Rowe Price Balanced Fund. Considered to be a financial thought leader in asset allocation and expert in portfolio diversification, Page wrote a book on the subject titled Beyond Diversification, What Every Investor Needs to Know About Asset Allocation. You can find the two interviews I did with Page on the topic on WealthTrack.com. Before we delve into Page's new regime theory, I wanted to revisit the topic of portfolio diversification. Fresh in our memories is 2022's market sell off, where every major asset class fell, including bonds, which experienced their worst decline in history. How should we be rethinking traditional portfolio diversification, where stocks represent risk and bonds safety?
1: I think the basic principles of diversification should continue to apply, but Consuelo, we are going through a regime shift. And what I would say about diversification from here on is beware of averages. We've learned from 2022 that stocks and bonds can go down together in a significant way. And if you look at diversification and how it's worked historically, we all know it tends to disappear when stocks sell off. Other risky asset classes tend to go down with stocks. But what most of us don't necessarily think about is when does diversification work best? It actually tends to work the best in up markets, which is exactly when we don't want diversification. Stocks and bonds can go down together in certain environments when we get an interest rate shock, for example. In other environments where we get a traditional recession, bonds can be great diversifiers to stocks. So beware of averages. It calls for more dynamic approaches or finding diversifiers that work in specific market environments. The takeaway, Consuelo, to that basic question about diversification is uh, avoid averages. And uh, the way I like to think about it is it's, it's like you have your head in the freezer and your feet in the oven and you're claiming that your average body temperature feels very comfortable. When we say that on average, bonds diversify stocks. We're kind of making the same mistake. We've learned this in 2022. My prior research actually showed stocks and bonds going down together is not new. It happened in the 70s. And it really comes down to, do we think interest rate volatility will dominate market returns? If we do, we need to search for alternative sources of diversification beyond treasuries. So that's all the rethinking that's going on at the moment.
0: Right. That's so interesting. So uh, if if we don't pay attention to averages, what do we pay attention to?
1: So we need to rethink the traditional 60-40, for example. In my mind, if you have a 40 percent allocation to bonds, perhaps about 10 percent of it should be allocated to dynamic strategies or other forms of alternatives. And in the 60% for stocks, perhaps 10% of it should be allocated to, for example, hedged equity strategies. So those are strategies that offer most of the upside for stocks, but that also incorporate direct tail risk hedging strategies together in the same package. So by adding that, what are we doing? And by adding dynamic bond strategies or other types of alternatives? We're protecting the portfolio a little bit more for those environments where we see interest rate volatility and where interest rate shocks drive both stocks and bonds together. So this is how, in my mind, we can enhance diversification going forward. And how well do these you know, hedged equity
0: uh, investments work? And how well do the dynamic bond strategies work that you're recommending? of, perhaps, in the bond portion, 10% of in the
1: stock portion. How well do they work? What's their track record? So the interesting thing here is that the selection of how you do this or the manager you use to do this really, really matters more than in traditional stocks and bonds. And this could be said of alternatives in general. So some of those dynamic strategies will do very well at protecting the downside. Even when bonds are going down and even when treasuries are going down, others won't do so well. So there's a bit of homework to be done here. And hedging the downside in equities while preserving the upside also requires skilled asset management and a thoughtful approach to managing the costs of, the, of doing so. So my insert, you you, Consuelo, is they can work very, very well, but you have to do it. You have to hire skilled managers who know how to do this. In my
0: introduction to you, Sebastian, I I cite a, a report that you wrote that the world is different now, we're in a new regime. What has changed
1: and what is the new regime? So, Consuelo, for the first time in 40 years, we've made a higher high in Fed funds. And for a long time, up until COVID and the recent Fed hikes, we essentially had zero interest rates. And Nassim Taleb has a great quote saying that, studying finance with zero interest rates is like studying physics without the law of gravity. We're in an environment where we've wiped out 16 trillion in negative yielding debt. Gravity is back in financial markets. This has implications for the so-called equity risk premium, the return we expect for stocks in excess of bonds. It's Mm -hmm. been really rocky for bond investors. But the flip side of that is that bond expected returns, given the current yields, are higher than they were in the zero interest rate environment. So this new regime has a lot of implications for portfolio construction. And is this new regime
0: a new normal, as some people call it, or is it something different? Have we seen this before?
1: While there are similarities with prior regimes, say pre-2008, when we had higher interest rates, or post-war boom in in the 60s, where we had higher interest rates, this regime is going to be different. No matter what. And I don't like saying this time is different, but when we think about right. forecasting and understanding the environment we're in, we're in a higher rate environment. The law of gravity is back in financial markets. We can say, well, there's similarities with prior environments and try to understand those, but also ask what is different. And what is different so is what? we had a downward trajectory in rates in the old normal pre-2008 environment. Now, we might have a sideways or maybe for a while upward trajectory in rates. We'll see what happens when we think about the next 12, 18 months. So that is different right now. There's also a lot of government debt right now that is different from prior environments. So we're trying to put it all in context and think about what it means for portfolio construction. So tell us what you
0: have come up with as to what it means for portfolio construction. How new or how familiar is uh, the approach that you're taking?
1: So there are aspects of portfolio construction that remain. Being cautious about your exposure to loss, thinking about your risk tolerance. This is really important and not talked about enough when we talk about portfolio construction, and that is not changing. You know, when investors think about how much stocks should I hold, that's such an important asset allocation question. I have an entire chapter about this in my book. Sometimes it's actually more than investors think because, you know, we all have a long time horizon. Longevity is increasing. Even if you're approaching retirement, you have probably another 30 years in retirement. But some of the things that, cha- that are changing are what we've talked about, the realization that in some markets, treasuries, like in the 70s, like in 2022, are not going to really, or not expected to really protect your downside. And that means looking beyond traditional stocks and bonds and looking at hedged equity strategies or dynamic bond strategies, for example. And it also means um, for a lot of investors thinking a little bit more dynamically about the markets and adapting to different market environments. And Sebastian, why
0: wouldn't Treasuries fulfill their traditional role as you know the safest asset available the risk free asset as treasuries are called
1: There are a few reasons for that. one is perhaps a little bit scary, but would treasuries one day lose their safe asset status in a in a flight to safety in a growth shock um, Right now, we can still think of treasuries as the really the safe asset if Mm -hmm. the economy crashes, if there's a real crash in financial assets. But that is if the volatility is driven by recession and growth concerns. And as I mentioned earlier, if the volatility markets is driven by, as we've seen, an interest rate shock or an inflation shock, then bonds can come under pressure. Treasuries can come under pressure at the same time as stocks. And that's kind of what happened in 2022. So
0: how dangerous is our current situation where the Treasury, U.S. Treasury, has to refinance, I think it's $800 billion worth of treasuries uh, in the first quarter of 2024, and with a carry interest rate of 2% now, which will double, at least, uh, when they refinance. Could that bring about an interest rate shock?
1: I think it's a possibility. It's not necessarily the base case, but it's a risk Mm -hmm. to be managed for the next 12 months. As we speak, Consuelo, rates have come down. If you look at the 10-year rates, they've come down really drastically, really quickly. But a lot of the factors that were pushing the 10-year rates and long rates in general up before uh, the recent developments are still there. Your point about the Treasury needing to issue more bonds is still prevalent and is still a risk. The Fed is Mm -hmm. still doing quantitative tightening. The Fed is still pulling away from long bonds. Foreign investors... And if you think of Japan, for example, might still start, might might still continue to reallocate away from U.S. Treasuries into domestic bond markets for various geopolitical or domestic interest rate reasons. But if you ask me, is the risk that interest rates or inflation could go up uh, above market expectations over the next six to 12 months? Is it equal to the risk that they could go below market expectations? I don't think it's symmetrical. I think the risk is to the upside on both rates and inflation. But then I add a caveat saying there is oxygen for markets with rates above 5%. And in fact, tactically, Consuelo, right now as we speak, it's a boring position, but we're neutral between stocks and bonds. If we look ahead six to 18 months, uh, that's how we're tactically positioned. You're neither overweight or underweight, either one. And, and why is that? So we're in an environment where we're still unwinding distortions in the macro data. We're still unwinding the COVID stimulus. And the mm-hmm. uncertainty is such that we have to balance the fact that, yes, growth has been surprising on the upside, and we have some interesting technology coming online with AI. But the Fed has hiked 550 basis points, and we still have to adapt to higher rates. We talk about the long and variable lags. That's the risk on the other side. And it's kind of fairly balanced at the moment. And why is it, Sebastian, because you commented on this to me
0: uh, in a previous interview, why is it that the economic forecasts are so
1: off? Well, we've had so many distortions. I like to do this thought experiment uh, with some of our clients. I ask them, uh, imagine that it's February 2022, so the Fed has not hiked yet. And you buy put options, which are basically protection on the stock market. You buy derivatives positions that will make you money if the stock market goes down. Goes down. Mm -hmm. And in this thought experiment, you fall into a coma and I'm waking you up now. And you ask me, okay, uh, what's happened? Is the stock market down? (laughs) And I tell you the following. Well, we have a war in Europe that's still ongoing. The Fed has hiked by 550 basis points. We've had the second, third, and fourth largest bank failures in history. And now there's a war in the Middle East you would think markets would be down. Markets are up. Corporate earnings have delivered, especially for very large Magnificent Seven growth companies, technology companies. And we've had this, I call it the blob of money Consuelo. We've had so much liquidity in the system Mm -hmm. that has boosted asset returns. We still have six trillion in money market funds. That's an all-time high. It's two trillion more than we did before COVID. We we have, if you just look at checkable deposit data, it's at 4.4 trillion. Early 2019, it was at 1.2 trillion. So all this money in the system, yes, it's coming out, and there's talk of excess savings running out. I'm just talking about raw data. It's coming mm-hmm. down, but it's still a very high level of liquidity. I'm not making adjustments for excess savings versus trends or so on. And that sort of explains why my thought experiment is, is curious, right? The fact that markets are actually up despite everything that's happened. It also illustrates back to the economists why it's been so hard to make economic projections based on traditional relationships, traditional Economics 101 relationships would say you hike by 550 basis points. 18 months in, unemployment should be spiking higher right. than 3.9 percent. Yeah, and
0: you you should have a recession, right? Yeah. Um, so it's all that extra cash that came in the fiscal stimulus and the monetary stimulus, right? That's what really made
1: the difference. Both at the same time, globally. Right. 20 trillion total in stimulus at some point during covid we sent 140 million checks of over a thousand dollars directly into people's pockets we we doubled unemployment benefits we we forgave loans to small businesses that kept people employed and all of that adds up into excess liquidity and uh, at this point now The good news for for a lot of people is that wages are also finally rising, right? So that's also part of it. It's been a long time coming. Sebastian,
0: as head of global multi-asset, you do numerous things. But uh, one of the things that you do is you oversee the target date funds, I guess, 350-some-odd billion dollars' worth of target date funds. Given the experience we've just been through with COVID. And now we're you know getting back a new regime but more normalization. Is are there major changes or any changes of note that we should know about that are occurring in the target date funds and the asset allocation in the target date funds?
1: One of the most uh-huh. important changes we're making on the strategic long-term construction of the portfolios is to add about a 10% sleeve for vintages, so for portfolios of investors who are closer to retirement, near retirement, so-called vintages. For those where there's more sensitivity to drawdown or to downside risk, to simply exposure to loss, we are adding this 10% hedged equity component. So that's a an important strategic change to address the possibility that treasuries might not always be the perfect diversifier. So we're looking, if you can't diversify, hedge is kind of the answer. So, so to limit the downside, is that what this is doing? Right.
0: And 10% sleeve and as you get closer to retirement. So that's that's something new.
1: Yes. And while preserving most of the upside of of Mm -hmm. having equities, of having stocks in the portfolio. Uh, And tactically, we talked about how we're neutral between stocks and bonds. We're also positioned for a broadening of the market for the next six to 18 months. We have long positions in small and mid caps and uh, carefully, cautiously contrarian positions as well in emerging markets, equities. And we're also uh, long high yield credit, for example. So those are, in a nutshell, the tactical positions. What does it mean to be well diversified? So, being well diversified in a portfolio means having a broad range of asset classes. But to a certain extent, your level of diversification should also, between stocks and bonds, should also depend on your risk tolerance. If you're early in your career, it's okay to have 85, 90% stocks. And that might be quote unquote not diversified, but your risk tolerance is such that stocks are an engine of growth for compounding wealth accumulation over time, and you have a multi-decade time horizon. What does it mean to be well diversified? It has different answer yes. depends depending on your risk tolerance as well, which we tend to treat that question separately, but I don't think we should.
0: What about alternatives? I mean, what about like gold? What about real estate? What are the non-traditional assets that we should all consider
1: if we are well diversified? So generally speaking, I think there is a role for alternatives broadly defined in Mm -hmm. investors' portfolios. The problem, Consuelo, and I I have a whole chapter about this in my book as well, but alternatives are sometimes presented as a free lunch, very low volatility, great diversifiers, and high returns. And the reason is that the returns on those alternatives, especially from private markets, are calculated differently. It's not necessarily because they are a free lunch per se. So mm-hmm. I'm giving you sort of two answers. I'm saying alternatives have a role, whether it's you know private real estate- Private
0: equity, private venture capital, right, real estate.
1: They have a role in investors' portfolios for those who have access to those, but they're not a free lunch and they shouldn't necessarily mm-hmm. dominate the asset allocation. Uh, there are trade offs. You're giving up liquidity in some cases, not all cases. So, you know, the way we do it in our portfolios is that we will have dynamic bond strategies, for example, that are defined as alternatives. Uh, those require skilled active management. We have private credit. Uh, We also look at downside protection strategies, which could be going back to hedged equities, classified as an alternative. But again, it's more for us, for our types of investors, for the mandates that they give us, it's more, you know, a 10% of the typical 40, a 10% of the typical 60. That's kind of how we scale those exposures.
0: Diversification has been called a free lunch, is it?
1: It's a tasty lunch. <laughs> if I can get the same expected return, but smooth the ride along the way, that's pretty good. Or if I can get the same exposure to loss, but kind of get some extra return for that level of risk, that's, that's a pretty tasty lunch. <laughs> I like that, a tasty lunch. Uh, Sebastian, one
0: investment for a long-term diversified portfolio, what would you have us all own some
1: of in a long-term diversified Tasty portfolio. So I think it's awesome that you're asking that question after we've talked about the benefits of diversification. And you're you're asking me for one investment for a long-term portfolio. Look, I think last time we talked, Consuelo, I, I, I pushed for stocks. And I said just generally speaking, yes. for most investors, the optimal or appropriate allocation to stocks may kind of be higher than they think because we all are expected to live longer. We all have a long time horizon, unless you need the liquidity right now, which is a different answer. I think given the environment, given this regime shift we just talked about, I'm gonna give you the opposite answer, and I'm gonna say bonds, it's been such a tough ride for bonds, right? We've had basically the largest losses for bonds that we've had in history. The long treasury index, peak to trough over the last few years is down 40%, right? And every advisor everywhere has been telling their clients treasuries are safe. But what does this mean? It means that now yields are higher and that you can get income from bonds, whereas before you had very little income. And that kind of makes bonds attractive. That is
0: diversification. Thank you so much, Sebastian Page, for joining us again on Wealth Track. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is don't give up on portfolio diversification. The future is always unknowable. As Page points out, the majority of economists have been wrong during the great financial crisis during COVID and its aftermath and the recent tightening cycle. Being broadly diversified enables you to take advantage of market performance wherever it excels and, except in cases of extreme stress, usually protects you from random declines in specific assets or markets. Now, diversification has been called one of the only free lunches in investing. Page prefers tasty lunch. Whatever your descriptive choice, it works most of the time over time. For the vast majority of us trying to figure out when and where it doesn't work, is a futile exercise. Next week, financial thought leader and strategist Jason Trenner identifies some of the major investment themes driving the markets in 2024. In this week's extra feature, making the most of the COVID lockdown, Sebastian Page describes the financial literacy series he created with his young daughter on LinkedIn. Please follow us on Facebook and our YouTube channel. Thank you for watching. Enjoy your weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.